Well, good morning. Um, if you're new, my name is Bland. I'm the lead pastor here in Brookline. Uh, if you're visiting uh, from another congregation, welcome. We we are uh, glad to have you um, with us today. I was uh, want to give you greetings from the retreat. Um, there are actually a couple of folks that are came back last night, but around 230 folks um, up at a retreat center in New Hampshire. It was beautiful. Um, the Lord's been really uh, good, uh, showing up in a lot of beautiful ways with folks. Uh, we were you were missed. Um, but we know that not everyone's life uh, is conducive to being able to take a weekend off right now. So totally get that. That's why I came back. We don't just cancel the service. But um, I'm glad you're here. What you're going to get today is the uh, is the message that I kicked the retreat off yesterday morning with. And it's the, the retreat was built around the idea of being present. Like not just present as in raising your hand, I'm present. But as in present as in fully physically engaged. And one of the things that we learned from from COVID was uh, how important that is, right? Like I remember the term early on that came, uh, came a friend of mine actually used, and I picked up on it quite a bit, was uh, the term disembodied. It felt like a disembodied existence, didn't it? We were, we were on Zoom talking to people uh, to, at work, our coworkers. We were on Zoom talking to friends. Uh, we ordered food remotely. And anybody get an Instacart uh, membership during COVID? You didn't even have to go to the grocery store because it would kill you if you did. It would just like seriously dangerous, like going to a nuclear uh, facility, like you know, really dangerous there for a while. So uh, <laughs> we didn't go out. But but no, even though you had all of those things, theoretically relationship, theoretically working, theoretically eating, there was a disembodied feeling, wasn't it? Because you, you, you and I could not physically be present with other people. And Zoom, no matter how helpful it is, and it is helpful, I can imagine having uh, had COVID 20 years ago, how hard it would have been to even try to stay connected. Um, but Zoom is like being married online to someone. <laughs> yes, it's better than never talking to them and never seeing them, but it's a poor, poor uh, 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 model of what actually it's meant to be to be married, right? Um, and so when it comes to uh, being embodied or being present, this is what we uh, focused on this weekend. And yesterday I talked about the, uh, began with the, the foundational idea that God is present with us. Now, I know this is, if you grew up in church, this is a term that just rolls right off our tongues. It's like, oh, God's present with us. Yay, of course he is. This is the craziest truth in the history of the existence of the universe. Like, God, who made the entire universe and every atom in your body at this moment, who is unlimited in his knowledge and power and glory, has chosen to be present with us. And not just with us, but in us. This is an astounding truth, right? We are, we are floating, walking around as tiny specks on a tiny speck in the middle of a vast universe, and God delights. He doesn't do it reluctantly. He's like, oh, somebody twisted my arm. I'll be present with them. I want to be with them. Uh, he comes willingly, desiringly, and it's even more astounding because it's you, right? Have you met you? You're not that awesome, right? You're not like me and God, like we're just like this, like, you know, no wonder God wants to hang out with me, right? Nobody in their right mind actually says that, who understands who God is and understands who they are, right? We are not awesome. We're not like God, just like I got to get in on that, you know? It is that God loves you. It is his delight, his 
uh, longing to pursue you. So what, what I want us to begin with today, and I, I uh, told the retreat yesterday that uh, I'm going to do a little teaching, and then I might get a little excited and move into preaching. So uh, we're going to start with teaching, but it's going to connect actually with our Genesis series. It worked out really well this weekend for us to take a break from Genesis, but um, everything we've looked at in Genesis 1 through 3 in the last uh, month or so, is a uh, month and a half, is going to feed into this message today and begin to actually help frame that out through the rest of Scripture. So what I want to unpack very quickly for us is from Genesis to Revelation, I mean very quickly, uh, what, uh, what it means that God is pursuing presence with us. Right? So Genesis 1 and 2, if you remember uh, from, from the few weeks on those sermons, God, wanted us to be, uh, God was present with human beings in creation, right? This is the, the first idea. Creation, God, everything we did in life was by, with, and alongside God. Everything, human existence in every moment of every day was with God. This includes, I would argue, every aspect of life, including Intimacy and marriage, right? Like even that was, that was not part of the fall. God didn't make that dirty. It was such a, an amazing thing that at the end of Genesis 2, what is the last phrase? It says, and the man and the woman were naked and not ashamed. There was something so beautiful about an entire life caught up with what it's, who we're created for and living for him that every aspect of life was uh, under that. And then it all went to pot in Genesis 3, in the fall into sin. But what functionally happened in relation to God? God? God is omnipresent, right? So he's present everywhere in the universe at any time, all times. Um, but his relational presence with us, we could no longer dwell in. So we were removed from relational intimacy and the personal presence of God. Kicked out of the garden. But what you see from here, and this is, this is the trajectory of scripture, is that God begins to start pursuing us again. And this is, the, this is God writing history to display the greatest love story that's ever been told, right? Greater than The Notebook, greater than whatever movie you dream of, a favorite romantic story. It's like it pales in comparison to this. This is a God who has been pursuing human beings throughout history, and it begins uh, a little bit uh, after Moses led the people out of the wilderness, right? God had led them through a fire uh, by night, a, a cloud by day. And we hear about something called the tabernacle. And, and uh, God inspired and instructed his people to build a tabernacle, which you're like, what is that? I have no idea that term. It's a big tent, right? It was a tent, and then it was a smaller tent within that, and a little bitty smaller tent inside of that one. I know that sounds crazy, like Russian nesting dolls, but uh, <laughs> it was kind of like that. And the tent was meant to be uh, like, a, like a, um, a place, a shrine where you could go and, and connect with God, but only the priest could go into a next section called the Holy of Holies. And then within that, or sorry, the holy place, and then within that was a place called the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was, you know, from Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, right? Um, <laughs> That Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. And the high priest could only go in there once a year. And he did it very with a lot of fear and trepidation because it was dangerous. You could die. They actually would tie a rope around the foot of the high priest who went in there. Because if he, wasn't, if he had not done atonement for his sin and he was somehow carrying some sin in there with him, 
he would just fall over dead and they would drag him out with the ropes. <laughs> True story. Uh, and he would wear a bell as well so they could hear him moving. Um, <laughs> but the, the, that, that was God's presence with God's people. But it was, it was mediated, right? You couldn't just walk in and go, hey, God, what's up? So God, uh, we had the tabernacle. And then following that, we had the temple. The physical presence uh, or mediated presence of God in a physical place that didn't move, right? Tabernacle moved around with the Israelites as they moved through the wilderness. The temple is a location. So you could think of it as God's, God's mediated presence with God's people in God's place. That's what the temple was. And then after that, we see Jesus show up. And this is where it gets crazy because you got to think about Jewish people and how they thought about the presence of God and how holy he was and how far he was. And I'll be honest with you, this is why it's really hard for a Jewish person to accept the idea that Jesus was God in human form. Right? Because the, the, their whole for generations they had been taught God is so holy, you can't look at him, think about him, go near him. Like only the high priest can go in and make atonement for us once a year and only after he's made all atonement for his sin. And so like this idea of God coming. But what did, what did, uh, what did Isaiah say? He said, uh, you will have a son and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, not God near us, God came by us, right? Like a comet going by the planet. Like, no, he actually came into physical form, fully God and fully man, lived among us as God's presence. And, and one of the beautiful things is John actually picks up on this. You don't need to turn there, but in John 1.14, a very famous verse that you might uh, have heard is it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I don't know if anybody in here likes the King James Version. If you like the King James Version, that's awesome. I love like the beautiful language there. I, I just personally don't study it myself, but I, and I respect people and love people who love that Elizabethan English. So uh, if that's you, that's great. Well, this is where one of the places that it translates, the King James Version literally translates the word. Um, it doesn't translate into English well, but it says, um, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. It's the same word. God came and pitched his tent, not in a camp, not behind a veil, behind three uh, walls of veils and curtains, right? But he as a human being came and pitched his tent. He did life among us. He walked among us. He lived with us. And then the next phase we see is the church. The church, God is present, living in, with, and through his redeemed people in a broken world. And he does this through his spirit, right? So Jesus was the physical presence of God. He came and walked among us. But now the, the, the physical presence of God is, is you and I in the sense of Jesus living in us, the spirit of God living in us. And that creates a powerful unity if you stop and think about why the church is unified. This is why the church is unified. The spirit at work in and through and with us. And then finally here in the new heavens and new earth, Revelation 21 and 22, we see a beautiful picture of God bringing a new heavens and new earth, like recreating the earth, making all the, anything that's broken, anything that's part of the fall will be gone. Right? And now God walks among us. And Revelation 21 says, and we shall see him, what? Face to face. That's astounding. 
Do you see the restoration now of the, of the created order from Genesis 1 and 2? You're looking back, you're looking back to Genesis 1 and 2, and now you see in Revelation 21 and 22, there's a tree of life there. It's, no, it's not a garden anymore, it's a garden city. Why is it a garden city? Well, there's a lot more people, right? So it's a city, but it's not a dirty city. It's a beautiful city. It's a clean city. And God literally walks down the streets with his people there. God, the entire Bible, you can look at it through the lens of God pursuing, God's pursuing presence with his people. One of my favorite images about the, um, when Jesus died on the cross to demonstrate what God was doing. There's, uh, it's Luke that tells the, the account of it. But that veil in the temple that separated the uh, holy, place, uh, holy of Holies from the holy place. So the holy of Holies where the ark was and nobody went in there. It says what? The veil was torn from top to bottom. This is a, the estimates are it was about 60 feet tall. It was several inches thick because of the, it had to be that thick of fabric to hold itself together. And God, God reached down. I love top to bottom, right? It wasn't like us ripping it up and going, we're going to go in here. God says, like a piece of paper and just breaks it down and says, no more. No more separation. Hebrews says we have the right to boldly come before the throne of grace now. God is present with us. But what I want us to see from John 15, and it's already been read, is not the question if God is present with us, is will we be present with God? Will you be present with God? Because God is present. Jesus is present. If you're a Christian, Jesus is in you. You may just ignore it most of the time. You may just be focusing on other things most of the time. And you're not doing what John 15, the word abide is used. I don't know about you. Anybody use abide every day? That's just a word that rolls off your tongue. I'm just abiding today. No, right? It's a, it's a weird word. It's hard to translate into English from the original Greek. Um, and so they just picked abide. The New International Version, very popular uh, translation, uses the word remain. Um, but it's a, it's a really cool term in the original language. It means to reside, to dwell, to continue, to stay. Uh, the word abide in English is actually where we get our word abode from. What is an abode? It's a home, right? So it's somewhere you live. You don't pop in and out of an abode. It's, your, it's the place you dwell. It's the place you stay. The word in the Greek meno um, means to stay or abide, continue, dwell, endure. One other definition is to be present. And that's what I want us to frame out today. Jesus uses the term abide 10 times. It takes about 90 seconds to a min, uh, two minutes to read uh, verses 1 through 11. If you're talking to someone and they use the same word in two minutes 10 times, do you feel like they're trying to say something, trying to emphasize something? And that's what Jesus is doing today for you and I. He's, he's emphasizing this idea of abiding, remaining, being present with him. He's saying, make your home with me, build your life with me. And so I want to ask you today, if you're a Christian, are you hanging out with Jesus? Like, is Jesus not, not like your co-pilot, right? You know, like the bumper sticker or something. But is Jesus on your mind? Is he on your heart? Do you think of him? Do you reflect on him? 
you don't get the benefit. I, I, I told the retreat folks yesterday to, to, you know, to go off and take some time uh, to go just stare at the mountains and the beautiful colors on, on you know, a lovely fall day. And I said, go sit by yourself and think about Jesus. You, know? um, you don't get that. Um, but the beautiful thing is Jesus is just as present in Brookline as he is in New Hampshire, no matter how beautiful it is up there right now. Right? He is just as present. But the question is, will you be present with him? Will you make your home on him? Will you abide in him, remain in him? And I would argue this involves being physically present. Abiding is not some nebulous idea out there like be nice, right? Or mindfulness. That's kind of the modern thing, right? Taking time to be mindful. Let's... I'm not sure. I, I, I kind of know what it means. It has some like roots in Buddhism, but like as a, as a Christian... We're called to, rem- to abide, remain, not let our minds wander, but dwell on Jesus. Think on him, reflect on him, abide in him. So what does this abiding mean? There's three things in this passage we're going to see, and then we'll um, look at some reasons we don't abide. The first is it means connection. It means connection. Jesus uses the analogy of the vine and the branches here, right? Connecting to the vine means being brought into a whole new way of life. If you go back to John 3, it's described as being born again. You are grafted onto the vine of Jesus. That's what he says. I am the vine, you are the branches, right? So you have been attached to the vine of Jesus. That's what it means. Um, and he says, I love verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So abiding in Jesus is abiding in his love. Well, what does that mean? Again, that feels really kind of nebulous. Like, okay, Jesus loves me, this I know, you know, for the Bible tells me so. Is that what that means? Yes, but, but, but what does it mean specifically? Well, the, the greatest act of love, and what we see the New Testament writers over and over and over again focusing on is the cross and the resurrection. The cross and the resurrection. Paul, at the end of his life, is constantly still talking about the cross and the resurrection. So, so to abide in the love of God is to remind your mind, to remind your heart, to focus your faith on the fact that Jesus has died for you, he has risen for you, he has redeemed you, he's given you life, and one day he will come for you again. That's your hope. And think about how that would change life if you stay connected with Jesus that way. If you're dwelling on him and what he's done for you and that like, he's not just out there, he's with you, right? So it's connection. There used to be an old hymn, um, Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross by Franny Crosby. Um, uh, I, I'm not going to sing it. We'll spare all of you that. Uh, but it's a beautiful song of just asking Jesus to help keep you close to the cross, to that place where he bled and died for you. How many of you, now let me just make this extremely practical for you. How many of you regularly need to be reminded on a soul level for your good that you are loved by God? How often do you forget that? How often do I forget that? That, that I don't need to get my, my identity and performance with this. I don't need to get my identity and approval from those people. I have been loved by God. And he is with me. And when I remember that, it like, it's abiding, it's remaining, it's focusing on Jesus. And it, it creates an intimacy. It's being present with him as he is present with you. So that's the connection. Flowing out of that, of course, is dependence. 
Anybody seen any independent branches? You know, they kind of plug in periodically, get some energy, and then go off and do their thing. It doesn't work that way. The, you know, the, the laws of botany do not work that way. The branch that is connected is alive. The branch that is taken off is dead. And so it means depending on the vine. Not marginally, but utterly. Listen, you could look back at Genesis 3 and, and Adam and Eve and what they did in a very simple light, in the, the light of the idea they were making a bid for independence. It was a bid to be independent from God. And so Jesus is saying, and, and what's interesting is just because you're independent of God does not mean you're de- not dependent on other things. If you're independent of God, you're going to be dependent on your pride. You're going to be dependent on your career. You're going to be dependent on your money. You're going to be dependent on approval from other people. You're going to be dependent on control of circumstances. And none of these things can ultimately satisfy your soul. So you were created. And if you look at Adam and Eve, were they independent of God? No, they were meant to live in utter dependence on God and the joy that comes out of that. And so God is inviting you back in through this image of the vine and abiding in the vine to a place of beautiful dependence. And then finally, here's continuance. If that branch decides to disconnect itself and leaves, what happens? It doesn't last long. Like you you can cut a branch and you can hold it out for a while, right? And might look green. You could put some water on it and it might, it might stay green for a little while, but what's going to happen to it? It dies, right? It's, it's not made to be independent. It is made to be dependent and connected long-term. So Jesus is, he's, he's ultimately saying, you have to remain in me. He actually says those that don't remain will be cast off. This is the nature of abiding with Jesus, the nature of being connected with Jesus, it's, it's connection, it's dependence, it's continuance. This is abiding. And I'll tell you this, too many Christians, I think in consumeristic, modern, Western culture, we just look to Jesus to give us some warm fuzzies for the day. Kind of, you know, blow us up, get us super excited or encouraged about something. Now listen, I am here to testify, Jesus will knock your socks off periodically, right? He will, that's just him. But, but if that's the only thing he's good for, then you're really only looking for an emotion. You're only looking for a feeling. You're not looking for intimacy with the God of the universe. You're looking at a means to, to an end. I'm going to use him. I need him. I'm kind of feeling discouraged. I could really use some encouragement. Where are you, Jesus? Right? And I think that's the problem with too many of us. Rather than understanding the good days, we're to, we're to be walking with Jesus, abiding in Jesus on the good days. And when the hard days come, yes, he meets us. And sometimes, yes, he will unbelievably show his kindness to us. One commentator emphasizing the importance of abiding said this, whatever leads to this is good. Whatever hinders this is bad. Whatever does not bear on this is futile. God is present with us. Will we be present with him? Now, why are we not present? Why am I preaching this sermon for myself and for you? Why is it it not a church full of people that are 24-7 abiding in Jesus? Well, part of it is some lies that we believe about ourselves and orienting our hearts and and lives around them. Things that we don't necessarily say out loud, but we say to ourselves. And the first one that I see in our, our city is this. 
Feeling not busy is a sin and is wasting time. Some of you, it's because of the homes you were raised in, you're finding your identity and what you could get done. But Jesus is not simply our savior. It, it, means, it means lining our life up to his and walking with him. Not, not Jesus get in on what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it, right? It is coming under, the, we're disciples of Jesus, right? What does a disciple do? follows. That's why he said, take up, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Not, hey, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and I'll hang out with you as you're doing your stuff. Right? You're following him, which means you're following his pattern of life. And you know what Jesus did? He Sabbathed every week because he was Jewish. So sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, Jesus didn't work. He rested, he feasted, he prayed, he hung out with his disciples. It was a day to reflect on the Lord, a day for his soul to rest. Jesus practiced napping. Amen. <laughs> Seriously, you read the Gospels, he's like asleep on a boat. Why? Why is that? You know, I've, I've heard some pastors try to make some spiritual reason. Why. I'm like, no, he was, he was tired. That's why he was, went to sleep on the boat. Let's not make it anymore. He was a human being. Yes, he was God, but God chose not to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to undo all the limitations of a human being while Jesus is a human being. No, he's tired. He took a nap. Some of you need to take a nap. Seriously. It'd be the most spiritual thing you could do is to actually say, you know what? I have those emails I could send. I have those things I could do. I could run to the grocery store, but I'm tired. And I'm just going to enjoy a nap as a gift from the Lord today. That's a, I know that sounds crazy, but that's abiding in Jesus. Some of you are like, you can nap and abide in Jesus? Yes. Remember what I said you could do in the Garden of Eden with, you know, in the presence of God? You can certainly nap and abide in Jesus. That's the first lie I hear. Secondly, the, the second lie is the purpose of rest is to help me work. So I don't rest so I can, I can be a human being. Listen, to you, some, of you, some of you think that rest is a means to an end. You think that the, the, the taking time to rest, taking a day off is about, well, that'll help me to be able to work. What does that make work? It means work is your purpose. It's what God created you for all he created you for. But did you know rest existed before the fall of mankind? We saw it in the creation of the Sabbath day. God created rest and created you for rest, listen to this, as much as he created you for work. I know you're, you're, some of you are thinking, that's what my mom and dad told me, right? My mom and dad told me work hard 24-7 every day of the week. I'll get ahead. I'll get that job. I'll get that promotion. I'll get into that program. I'll, you know. And you were given that, that, that work ideology, and that work ideology can turn into word idol, uh, work idolatry very easily. And some of you need to stop abiding in the message of your parents about work and start abiding in Jesus about work. Because he wants rest for your souls. And here's what happens. Yes, the beautiful thing, it's really interesting because modern science is catching up on this, right? All the, all the Harvard Business Review, it's like, it seems like everyone needs to take like a day off a week. You know, once you work 55 hours, productivity goes down. Like, wow. Thank you, Harvard Business School. 
for discovering that. We have a 3,500-year-old text that explains we were made for rest, but we'll, we'll go with your idea, right? So ingenious. You were made for rest. Do not feel guilty in resting. Now, some of you rest too much. <laughs> like, I'm really good. I'm, I'm going, getting ready to go pro, you know? <laughs> and I think I'll make a career out of this. You, know? you need to work. You need to get to work. Because Jesus wants to abide with you in your work as well. And you're missing out because you're not working and Jesus wants to work with you. Another lie here is Sunday gatherings and CGs are enough for me right now. So I'm going to Sunday gatherings, I'm going to community group, that's enough. Now, if you're, if you're exploring Christianity or you've been away from church and you're kind of on your way back in, listen, we, I, don't, I don't place any expectation on you. I, it's great that you're here. It's great. If you go to a community group, that's a great next step. You're exploring, you're looking, you're looking over the fence, you're putting your foot in the, in the water, right? You're, that's fine. But if you're a Christian, you weren't made to abide in Jesus on a Sunday morning and on a Thursday night. It's, it's like being married. And you know, I used online before, but it's like being married for an hour and a half on Sunday and a couple hours on a Thursday night, right? I'm married. I, meet, I see my wife on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half and on Thursday nights. We have a great marriage, really deep, beautiful intimacy with wonderful relationship and friendship. No, no one ever said that, right? Because you cannot have a relationship that's limited to that kind of, of exposure, that kind of context. God wants you. He wants to be with you. He wants to live in you. Jesus didn't bleed and die on the cross for you to give you, so you can give him a couple hours a week. Some of you are so stressed out right now, so busy. You're like, I just don't have any time to like, really draw near to Jesus more than just CGs and, uh, and Sunday. It's so crazy. I mean, stepping back from that, looking at it objectively, it's like somebody who's starving to death. And like, I'm just so hangry right now. I'm so hungry. I'm so busy. I just don't even have time to stop and eat. Like, you kind of, do you not see the, the correlation here? Your soul needs rest. Your soul needs Jesus. Your soul needs to abide, to remain, to be present. Your body needs to be present with Jesus and unplugged and let some of that anxiety drop off you. And yet you're saying, I'm too busy for that. I'm too hungry to eat. Right? Really? You can keep going. It's not going to work out well for you. The final lie I hear is, I have more important things to do right now. Now, we don't say this out loud, right? Because that would be unspiritual. But we, uh, deep down, we might want to be present with God, but we let the tyranny of the urgent in front of us keep us going. Sleep, hit that snooze bar once, twice, 13, 15 times, right? Like, I was going to get up at 5 a.m., but instead I slept past my alarm until 8.15, you know, like... <laughs> You know, we, we do that. We, we value sleep in that moment more than Jesus, right? And there's some days, listen, there's grace. There's some days you need to sleep. That's fine. But if that's you every day, I would argue you're valuing sleep more than Jesus. We value, uh, we have a lot of things going on. We go around the room. We got projects going at work, right? Things we're working on. We're working on something in school. We've got parents in here with small children. Um, you know, it, it, there's so much going on in life. So many things happening to you. Listen, I, I totally get that. I don't think Jesus is saying, cast all those things off and go sit and read your Bible all day. 
It might be what he asks you to do, take a vacation day and do that, but that's, you know, he wants you to do your job. He wants you to take, be a parent. You can't look at your you know, two-year-old and say, I'll feed you tomorrow. We're gonna, I need to read my Bible tonight. You know? um, You've got to take care of your family. But here's the thing. It's, I don't think it's those things that's actually stealing time with Jesus. It is what we do when we're not doing those things. Now, this is where I'm going to go. The old saying is going from preaching to meddling, but I'm also going to confess, so you can join me in this. Here's what happens to me. If I haven't spent time with Jesus during the day, and I've just been busy, got up, hit the ground running hard, you know, busy in this, later in the day, tired, finally get a few minutes and stop, and I just breathe. There's like that thought, like, oh man, I could, I could go read, I could go read my Bible and journal and pray, or I could watch reruns of Parks and Rec. And I kind of want to laugh right now. And I love Leslie Nope. And I think Ron Swanson's awesome. And I think Andy Dwyer's hysterical, you know? And I know I'm the only one in the room that does that, but that's, that's what we do. In that moment, I'm valuing something else more than Jesus and not realize I'm, I'm, I'm valuing a temporary feeling over a, what I really need and know I need deep down. And what always, without fail, every time that I've chosen to go read the Bible, chosen to pray, chosen to take some time with the Lord, it always, on the other side, I'm like, man, I needed that, right? But man, Netflix will just, I mean, it doesn't even stop. Like, I think you could watch Netflix forever. If you never touched your, your remote control, like it's designed to like keep going. Oh, you finished this entire series. We're going to go ahead and start this other one for you right now if you're not going to push stop, right? And so like we can sit there and then until we're too tired and go to bed. This is why, by the way, I would argue I have to do it in the morning. I, I have to. It's just, it, it's not a good cycle. What happens with you and me is this. I've realized this is a cycle. The cycle is, uh, is this. I don't, I don't spend time with Jesus because I'm busy one day. So I don't think about spending time with Jesus the next day as much. Maybe don't desire it as much. And then the next day I don't. And so I don't prioritize it. And then it goes into several days and a week or whatever. And then I'll, I'll start doing it. And then that feeds me to do it the next day and do it the next day. Is that, isn't, that your, isn't that your devotional time? Isn't that your prayer time? How many of you do it like one day, don't do it the next day, do it the next day, don't do it the next day, do it the next day, don't do it the next day, do it the next day or two days and then not, not two days. and then that's No, we just have these periods, don't we? It's because it's a cycle. We're feeding on ourselves lies that we are believing, that we don't need, we're not, we don't need to be connected, we don't need to be dependent on the vine, we don't need to continue with the vine. Listen, and here's the thing, we're so selfish, we think it's about us. Well, it's me choosing not to spend time with Jesus today. Let me tell you something, if you have not figured this out, I have, for me, when I'm not close to Jesus, everyone else around me pays a price. Maybe you're just naturally a very loving, compassionate person. You're never angry at other people. You never get short with anyone. You're just always modeling Jesus, even if you skipped your quiet time that day. But for me, if I do that, if I miss that, if I'm not drawing near Jesus, Teresa pays the price. I just get snippy. She's like, do you need to take a nap? You know, <laughs> I'm like a toddler or something. <laughs> I'm going to need to put you down for a nap. Um, <laughs> like, like, I just, I, I, it, it, people around me pays a price, and that's the problem. You and I think it's about us, but it's actually others that pay the price.
There are some beautiful benefits to what happens when we experience the vine, when we uh, abide in Jesus. And I want to hit these and we'll close. Number one, you bear fruit. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So two things. Pr- uh, fruit, um, fruit is eternal impact. That's, that's what we can argue is, is our, uh, are things that lead to an eternal impact in your life. And I don't know a person in this room that does not want to make an impact with their life. Nobody in here is like, I just want to live as selfishly as I possibly can and make no difference in the world. So fruit is what comes out of your life when you're abiding with Jesus. And here's the other thing, because the reason you can know it impacts, it impacts the world is because fruit doesn't exist for the tree, does it? Seriously. The, fr- the fruit of the tree is for others, not for yourself. And so when you're full of love, that's not for you to walk around and hug yourself all day, right? If you're full of the love of Jesus, what happens to when, you, when you're around other people? It spills over on them. When you have the joy of Christ, this spills over on other people. When you have the patience of Christ, all the fruit of the Spirit fill over, spill over onto other people. So you experience, you bear fruit. Secondly, you experience supernatural power. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now that's crazy. That's an unqualified statement. You notice that, right? It's not qualified. I know some of you are thinking, sweet, I'll ask Jesus for a Tesla. I've really been wanting one, and uh, you know, there's a back order, and I don't have $50,000, so um, that'd be awesome if Jesus gave me a Tesla. Okay, that's not, you, got, you missed the first part there. What does it say? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, what he's saying is this. If you abide in me, you're resting in me, you're drawing close to me, you're living near me, your mind, your heart, your priorities are going to be mine. Now, I'm not saying don't pray for a Tesla. Maybe the Lord wants to give you a Tesla. I don't think it's sinful to ask a good father for something. Just don't make that the measure of whether he's good. But what he's wanting to do in your life, though, is far greater than that. It's seeing supernatural power in your life. Think about that coworker, and we all know them, that is the furthest from the kingdom of God that you can imagine, right? Like, you're like, this is an Apostle Paul. I'm, saying, I'm pretty sure that if, somebody, if, if they lived in Paul's time, they would be crucifying Christians. Like they would be out hunting Christians, right? Um, and that's the person you're thinking of. And, and I, w- I would say this. Think about that person and think about the fact that would God call you to pray for them? Abiding in Jesus, walking with Jesus, and praying for God to radically change that person's life. Do you, you think God would get much glory from that? Of course he would. And so he wants to see this experience of supernatural power. Thirdly, here, you experience the joy of Jesus. Jesus says in verse 11, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Anybody, what do you think Jesus' joy is like? Jesus' joy got to be good, right? Like, He's the omnipotent, omniscient God of the universe, perfect in everything. He, what, what Jesus delights in and finds joy in, he's, it's omnipotent joy. And he says, I want some of this to be in you. I want your joy to be full. Not, I want you to have some joy, guys. But I want you to experience the depth of joy that you have never experienced in anything in this lifetime. 
And it flows out of this crazy idea. Again, this text is so full of crazy stuff. Verse 15, where Jesus calls us friends. Look at verse 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what the master is doing. Remember what I said about the way he, we, we get to know what he's thinking and we, we, we get in line with that. He says, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from the Father, I've made known to you. Do you have any friends that you just, just give you joy? You know that friend, you just get a night with them, you have you know, a wonderful dinner or whatever, you go to a show, and you just, man, they're just so life-giving to you, right? You, at the end of the evening, you're just like, man, I'm just full of joy. Think about that times 10,000. That's what you get by abiding in Jesus. And that joy flows into the way you live your life. I, um, I'll, I'll give you an example because I believe in practical examples. I don't want it to be just about a feeling of joy. Um, I shared this yesterday. It was kind of cool because he was actually at the retreat. But about, let's see, March of 2020, so two and a half years ago now, um, there was a guy who uh, came the very last Sunday before he got shut down for COVID. Not a Christian, not from a Christian background, uh, he came because a Christian coworker comes to our, came to our church, invited him, and he came. The guy has had questions, and so I realized when we shut down, I was like, "Hey, I know we can't meet in person. Can we meet on Zoom? I'll, I'll I'll try to help you in your journey and answer your questions." No joke. We met every single week for eight weeks. The shortest Zoom call we did was one and a half hours. We topped out at two and a half, and a couple of them. He asked so many questions, (laughs) more questions than anyone I have ever talked to before in their journey towards Christ. And yet when I would get off those calls, you can ask my wife, I would go downstairs and I, and she'd be like, and I, she'd smiled and laughed yesterday. I was like, I was full of joy. Why? Because I, Jesus, my friend was on that phone call with me and there was fruit there. The Lord wanted me to bear fruit in that relationship. And so I was getting to see the Lord at work because I couldn't, I mean, I I answered some questions, but Jesus changed his heart, right? That was the crazy thing because he looked at me after about three weeks. He goes, I just answered a question. He's like, I don't know if I would have believed that three weeks ago, but I think I believe it now. (laughs) And he said, no no joke, he said, I'm not sure why. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) so that guy ends up becoming a Christian. I got to baptize him in my backyard. I got, to, I got to see him become a member of this church. And then earlier this year, uh, I got to see him stand up here and do the welcome and announcements and pray for our church. And I'll, I'll tell you the secret. When I'm standing in the back sometimes, I see him. He's raising his hands in worship. And I'm just, I start to lose it. There's such joy in partnering with Jesus in this world. And he wants to partner with you in your workplace. Will you abide in him? Because he's present. He's present with you. Will you be present with him? To do that, you need to do two things. You need to find a place of silence and solitude. You cannot abide in Jesus without unplugging from the craziness that is life on a daily basis. It might only be for a few minutes, but you need that time of silence and solitude. This is a historical and global practice of Christianity that's one of the most universally provable practices about Christianity. Those who do this abide in Jesus better than those who do not. It's just a fact because you were made for that. And then you need to Sabbath. You got to rest. You got to unplug. And let me show you, there's a really cool feature 
Um, you may have seen this on your phone. Some of you, if you're Android, I don't know how to do it, but um, you can all get together afterwards and talk about it. I'm sure they do it. Um, but there's this really cool feature on the iPhone where if you hold the left upper button right there and then squeeze that right button, it does this crazy thing. And you slide it over. And I know some of you never turn off your phone unless it's buggy, right? That's the only reason you turn off your phone. But it's okay to turn it off, to have it off. So you're saying, I want to be with Jesus now, not you, okay? I love you. You're very important to me. I'll be back later, right? And you can put it down. And I would argue we've got to do this. As City on the Hill congregations, I told them yesterday, we as, a, as people who are following Jesus cannot be running at the frenetic, unsustainable pace full of anxiety and fear, not sleeping, working 24-7. We can't do that and tell the world, Jesus is good, Jesus is better, Jesus is rest for our souls. I know, well, you look as stressed out as I am. But you have a hobby. You go to church on Sundays. I, you know, I'd rather have my free time, you know? Come, be stressed out with us, right? No. <laughs> if we're going to be the light of the city, a city on a hill, a light, I think it's going to be because we're going to be an unanxious presence in this city. And that's not dependent on me. I, it is partially dependent on me and how I live my life and am I abiding in Jesus, but it's how we do this together. So I want to actually encourage you to make this a project with your community group. Then what do we need to do to practice silence and solitude better? How can we help each other in this? We're going to move into our time of response communion. I want to invite you, if you're a Christian, <laughs> in a very, very real way, Jesus established the com communion for us to be present with him in the elements. Physically, I love this, right? He didn't just say, like, spiritually, think about the cross. He actually gave physical elements to take into our physical bodies that in a very real way we could be physically connected to him. And so I want to encourage you, don't take this with reluctance. Jesus gave his life for you. Abiding in him means abiding in his joy, abiding in del his delight in dying for you. And so if you need to take a moment and repent of your phone or repent of whatever the Lord has laid on your heart, you do that. But when you go take communion, take it in joy. Take it knowing he isn't like, well, I just want you to feel really bad while you're doing this. No, you just, you're, you're taking the reminder of the greatest act of love that's ever been done for you. Take it with joy, celebrate it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd ask you, this is the one part of the service to not partake because Jesus established this for his church, for those who have crossed over into the, into the, the family. Um, we're glad you're here and we want to help you in that journey any way that we can. And so we've got the connection cards at the seats. You can mark on the back there. I'd love to know more about Christ. I'd love to help in journey, this journey. Um, but if um, we'd ask you to just stay where you are. If you're a Christian, you're new to Brookline uh, today, um, we have to take communion outside the room. There's supposed to be no food or drinking here. So anytime over this next song, we'll stand and then you can make your way out the side you'll see a group of people head out that door this communion stations out back and then come in through this back door here so let's go ahead and stand up i'm going to pray and then we'll respond together jesus who are we that you would come and abide with us that you would be present with us 
that you are not a savior who is far off, but a savior who is near, who has physically tasted and experienced this world as we do, who has been tired and weary and lost friends and had people betray him. What a glorious truth that through the Holy Spirit, you dwell in us. Jesus, may we be present with you as you are present with us. And as we take the cup and we, the reminder of your, your blood poured out for us and the bread, the body, your body broken for us, may they be physical reminders of your presence with us and our presence with you. May we abide in you this week and find your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.